Good morning, I'm Anna Palmer. And I'm Jake Sherman. And welcome to The Daily Punch, brought to you by Punchbowl News. It's Tuesday, October 4th, 2022. Let's get into the mix. Here are your Washington headlines of the day. Number one, Republicans fear governor's candidates in Pennsylvania and Michigan could hurt their chances down ballot. Number two, Herschel Walker facing another brutal story on his personal life. And number three, CPC chair Primala Jayapal and her leadership ambitions. All right, Jake, let's get into it. It is fall here. Man, we are uh, in a little bit of a brutal, well, this is my weather report, to start the morning. But uh, it, it feels like Election Day is around the corner just with the change of the seasons. House Republicans are concerned about top of the ticket troubles. Uh, and this isn't, they're not talking about Senate races. They're talking about some of the gubernatorial candidates that are potentially hurting their chances in keys, the key states of Pennsylvania and Michigan. Yeah, they'll 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 bellyache about Senate candidates pretty soon, but it's <laughs> it's, it's less it's less clean of a story for us because I mean there was a lot of um, uh, bellyaching about Blake Masters in Arizona and um, Herschel Walker in Georgia, and so I mean they're, the 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 Senate candidates are not like aren't getting off scot free here, but. Two examples that kept coming up in the last couple of days, uh, Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania and um, Tudor Dixon in Michigan. Now, Mastriano and Dixon have something in common, which is they both are kind of running, um, let's be generous here, um, less than active campaigns. They're not on television for the most part, or they're not on television in a real way. Um, and the concern here, and, and by the way, their their um, Democratic opponents in, in Pennsylvania, Josh Shapiro, is up ten points in the most recent public polling. In Michigan, last night, uh, the uh, WDIV TV in Detroit in the Detroit News had Whitmer up a very small seventeen points. Jeez, Louise! <laughs> this is seventeen points, and other polls have her up ten. Um, seventeen points in a state like Michigan is like, uh, and you know, I, I know there's going to be just stop if you're listening to this podcast. Stop your eye rolling about polls. Uh, I get it. This is the metric we have, right? I mean, we we can't we we can't read the stars to figure out who's gonna, who's ahead. We could I'm gonna be my, my second? I'm gonna go into that for my free time, Jay. Yeah, like maybe we should light some sage or something uh, to to figure out or whatever. Um, yeah, listen. So um, the 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 common thread throughout these two states, uh, Pennsylvania and Michigan, is that. They also have competitive house seats, um, several. And remember, in a in a situation in which five seats is the majority, um, every seat is worth looking at. So um, I don't think we need to run through all these races, but but I'll run through a few. Matt Cartwright in Pennsylvania and um, the old Connor Lamb, the Connor Lamb seat, the one that he's leaving, uh, Democrats are up in and uh, are and in the DCCC in one case is tying. Jeremy Schaefer uh, to Mastriano, who Doug Mastriano, the Republican Senate, uh, Republican gubernatorial candidate um, in an ad. So, I mean, top of the ticket drag is a real thing. And and I, I know part of it's probably just belly aching, but 
it's real too. This is a real problem for Republicans. We quote uh, one Republican lawmaker who said the only thing that's holding us back are bad governors, gu- gubernatorial and Senate candidates. So anyway, that's that's the dynamic, Anna. What do you, am I wrong on any of this? Please tell no, me. No, I think, I, listen, I think it is, to your point, another example of Republicans frustrated by, you know, how they see either Senate, but certainly in this instance, tying it also to the gubernatorial candidates, they see weak candidates as the reason for their, you know, possible downfall or they're not, you know, not taking, picking up as many seats as they had hoped, you know, six months ago. I think this is also just, uh, you know, and let's just like be clear, bad candidates mean one, they're not spending a bunch of money. And number two, a lot of them, when you look at what, you know, Doug Mastriano is, is running on in Pennsylvania, I mean, he is, you know, I mean, it is all cultural issues, right? It's stances on abortion, crime, education. Um, you know, I mean, he is not a mainstream candidate by any stretch of the imagination in a swing di- in a swing state that, um, you know, not only is important to the balance of power, but also is important to the president of the United States. So, I mean, you look at this and, and fighting the January 6th select committee over a subpoena for his attendance at the insurrection. I mean, He's aligned with QAnon. I mean, these are fringe candidates that have risen to the top of some of the key races in key states. And that, I think, is why you see this kind of frustration bubbling up. You mean that candidates like suburban parents in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh aren't going to be interested in Mike Lindell and the pillow guys like uh, musings? Is that what you're trying to suggest? I, I mean, I think it's hard to say that that's <laughs> going to turn the race in his favor. But, you know, that's what, what you know, that, that from the cheap seats that that's uh, that, I, I think there is that broader thread, which is it's not even that they're 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 pro Donald Trump Republicans that might make suburban moms or. Or others nervous. I mean, these are people that have embraced and then gone further in some instances in terms of what the fringe politics are on the right. Yeah. And also, it's just if you look at um, the, the, the New York Times has done some great reporting on this. I mean, no one's showing up to Mastriano's rallies, like zero people, like, you know, dozens of people. Um, uh, and this is why Republicans tried to defeat him in the primary. And, you know, he had the endorsement of Trump. This is going to be, by the way, a continuing issue for the Republican Party in the era of Trump. I mean, he endorses these these kind of goofball out of the out of the mainstream candidates who can't win in general elections. And Trump has won one election. People forget that he has won one election, one general election. And um, his choices in primaries, I mean, we, we look at Mo Brooks in Alabama and, and we'll have to see. I mean, the, the, the ink is not dry yet on, on how many how many of these candidates that he endorsed in primaries were able to win in general in general elections. Um, but but um, I could tell you that I haven't had a conversation with a Republican involved in House races that um, uh, hasn't. Re- revolved in some way about around this uh, top of the ticket drag for the GOP. All right, let's go to the number two story of the morning, Jake. Wow. Herschel Walker there. Uh, it was certainly an eventful night last night in the Georgia Senate race, a blockbuster story coming from the Daily Beast, uh, which reported that Herschel Walker, the GOP candidate challenging, of course, Senator Raphael Warnock, paid for an abortion for his then-girlfriend back in 2009. Important to note, 
Walker is strongly opposed to abortion without exceptions, including rape, incest, or the life of the mother. Uh, the Daily Beast goes into detail uh, about, you know, what what it, from its reporting, what it says happened back in 2009 in terms of Herschel Walker writing a personal check. There's a receipt from the woman who's alleging that she had this procedure and a get well card that he signed. Um this this in any other race, you know, would would just be a, a, a pretty stunning uh, admission. But this is kind of another personal scandal for Walker that he's having to fight off. Yeah, I don't have a um, this is obviously not our story. Um, so we don't have report independent reporting on this, but it's an it's quite it's quite a stunning story. And I was getting texts last night from Republicans in in D.C. and elsewhere about how. Um, they were uh, all of a sudden really looking um, down on on Walker's candidacy after thinking he had clawed back. But you make a good point, Anna. Who the hell knows these days what what disqualifies a candidate and how much this is just, you know, shirts and skins, so to speak, right? Republicans vote for Republicans, Democrats vote for Democrats, and people, no one stays home. Now, the question is, do Republicans stay home? Do independents flee Walker to the extent they they um, already have, have, you know, grown tired of him? But... Um, I'll say this, the, the the most recent poll, reputable public polling, uh, which is actually Fox News, which has a very uh, respected polling outlet or uh, outfit, rather, um, has Warnock, Raphael Warnock, uh, Herschel Walker's um, uh, opponent, up five points over Walker. So this was already a competitive race. I mean, Raphael Warnock is a uh, Republicans and Democrats admit that Raphael Warnock is a very strong candidate and has um, uh, worked it really hard, has good ads, is raising a ton of money. I mean, I think we reported yesterday in the midday edition, I think he raised in the last three months $23.5 million. I mean, I, you and I have been covering politics so long, Anna, that there was a period of time where $20 million in a total Senate race over two years was the norm. Now people are raising $23, 24000000 million in a couple weeks. Um, so my feeling on this is, you know, obviously an amazing story, and I just don't have any idea right now what is uh, disqualifying in the eyes of the modern day voters. I mean, obviously this would be in any other era uh, disqualifying, but I mean, 35 days ahead of the election, we'll have to see how it all how it all transpires, right? Of course, important to note that Walker did an interview with Fox News' Sean Hannity after this story broke on Monday and denied the allegations. His campaign said it planned to sue the publication for defamation. All right, let's move on to the number three story of the morning, Jake. Uh, it's a jam-packed Punchbowl News AM newsletter, as always. Uh, but this is a really interesting item by our colleague Max Cohen on Congressional Progressive Caucus Chair Pramila Jayapal. And she is priming the pump here in terms of her leadership ambitions, trying to tamp down the kind of narrative ahead of the election that progressives can't govern. She had held a press call on Monday. Also, just interesting that this many weeks before the election, she's holding a press call about these leadership ambitions, um, but basically saying that, you know, every single bill that Congress passed has the fingerprints of the CPC all over them, a, a pretty strong push to say, you know, if she were to run for leadership, which she wants to, she's going to be somebody who gets something done. Yeah, um, I was, 
<laughs> I was very interested to see this, to hear this call. I was not on it, but I, I downloaded with Max after the call. It, it's just, you, you put it, you put it right. Um, you put it correctly. Not, uh, I mean, we are 35, you know, 34 days ahead of an election and Jayapal is hosting a call about how successful her Congress, this Congress has been for her, um, and for the CPC. Um, I, I listen, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of, um, useless at this point to prognosticate about whether Jayapal is going to be in leadership. I have no idea. We don't know what Pelosi is going to do, Nancy Pelosi, what Steny Hoyer is going to do, what Jim Clyburn is going to do. Um, we have no idea whatsoever. So it, it, to say that Jayapal will or won't be in leadership, I just don't know. Now, that all said, she recognizes that the um, the narrative has been that progressives are the uh, roadblock in, gov- in governing, the stumbling block. Um, and she, you know, <laughs> it would take we could do an entire podcast on the CPC's um, and, and Jayapal's role in the last couple months of this or the last couple of years, rather, this Democratic majority. But you put it right. Like, this is what she's doing 34 days ahead of the election. She is talking about the CPC's fingerprints being all over this Congress. It's um, just interesting. I am not passing judgment. I just think this is a very interesting thing to do. She also said in the call that she's going to be campaigning for a bunch of her colleagues uh, as going to with, with Tina Smith of Minnesota to campaign for Democrats up and down the ballot in Minnesota this fall. All right, it's time for us to go, but I do want to note, we have a really interesting item about the New Dem Coalition endorsing the American Data Privacy and Protection Act. You can check out the details of why that matters and why Speaker Pelosi uh, is not in favor of that legislation. An interesting item as well by Max, definitely worth uh, a gander as we kind of get into the lame duck and into the next session and thinking about privacy, big tech, uh, all of those issues that are just continuing to bubble over. And just a quick reminder, we are going to be in Miami, Jake. We're going down uh, for an interview with Mayor Francis Suarez on Monday, October 17th at 10 a.m. If you are in Miami, you can join us in person or you can RSVP to watch the live stream. This is our final installment of our Road to Recovery series. Looking forward to that. Obviously, the state has been uh, facing a massive natural disaster, so we'll be talking to the mayor about that, how small businesses are handling uh, the the impact of of Hurricane Ian and and much more. With that, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our free morning newsletter at punchbowl.news. Have a great day and stay safe.